0: Unspoken Issues. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Issues Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Starcher, and of course, joined with this evening by none other than Dean Compton. Dean Compton, how you doing, buddy?
1: Well, you know, I mean it's 2022. Uh happy new year to everybody. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm doing pretty good, pretty good, exhausted. I've worked 40 hours in the last four days, but still found time to read about these like Avengers comics right here that we're going to talk about today. And, uh, you know, it's always good to hang out with the two of you. Better for y'all than it is me, but I still enjoy myself. You know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> That's great to hear. It's great to hear. Derry, wait, welcome back to the show, man. You ready to talk some Avengers and Squadron Supreme tonight, man. What, what, what do you think?
2: Yeah, thank, thank you again for, for having me. I, I am very excited to uh, talk about these comics. I have not read them in a long time, but uh, they certainly held up, especially the art.
0: Yeah, man. Dean, you came up with the idea of talking about these issues. I want to, I want you to talk about that.
1: Well, yeah, obviously, I think at this point, if you're uh, even tangentially involved in the uh, comic world, you've heard that, you know, uh, George Perez is essentially on uh, palliative care. He does not have long on this Earth with us. I, I assume he's going to go to the Earth crossover when he decides to pass on, where he can see all the Marvel and DC guys all the time and draw them for eternity and it's it's sad it's sad but you know, the way that he's facing this, it, it, it has to be admired. It's, he's just celebrating every, you go to his Facebook, which he started back up, his Twitter, his Instagram, like, he's just really embracing everything, and since he's reaching out and embracing the time he has left, I thought that while he's still here on, like, the very minuscule chance he would ever hear this, here's a here's a chance for us to embrace him right back. Here's a chance mm-hmm. for us to say what George has meant, because I think if there's anything that people should have learned over the last couple of years, it's the you really need to tell the people you care about that you care about them while they're still here. Uh right. And this is our chance, you know, on the small chance that, you know, tell George how much he's been to us and how much, you know, we love him. You know, it would be impossible for us to talk about every aspect of George Perez's career, even in the nineties in one show. Uh, right. And we've already kicked, we, we kicked the carnage can down the road. We're still going to do web of carnage and the uh cosmic carnage, but we wanted to get this in. I think George Perez is the best of all time. Not named Jack Kirk. I think, and, uh, uh, you, Jack Kirby's the king. You're not going to top Jack Kirby. Uh, you just can't. He's the Beatles of comic book. Like, it's just, you know, we're really talking about everybody else when we talk about it. And uh, George is the best. George never uh, never saw a challenge. He didn't completely embrace. A lot of guys are like, how can I get fewer characters off the page? And George yeah. is always like, how can I get more on there? Like, when, right. when, him, when him and Busek were going to do JLA Avengers, and Musiak's like, well, who do you want to draw? He's like, I want to draw them all wonder all of them. You know, what I mean <laughs> this is a guy who loved the big crossover, loved the big moment and everything was always so clean. Everything wasn't just clean but powerful. It's weird how like somehow for George his stuff is both like fluid and statuesque to me. Like it's just like it, it shines in a way that I don't think anybody else shines. And so for me, you know, I was personally, you know, fairly devastated when I heard the news. Obviously not as much as those closest to him or or himself, you know, but like I was just devastated and you know we're losing all the greats, and it's 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 sad. So you want to throw him some honor while you you know while we can. And uh, I actually got the chance to meet him very quickly at DragonCon 2019. And I was in line to go into the uh, you know the vendor booths. That's that's what it is. And uh, mm-hmm. he was just walking by across the street. You know I've met a lot of famous people in my media life because I do media work in, in the real world. When uh when I'm not when I'm using my real name, not my secret alias, uh-huh.
2: Dean Gom. <laughs> Watch out, everybody
1: walking across you know on the other side of the street and he's like eating fries out of one of those cones you know what i'm saying like like, i don't even know where he got this fucking atlanta georgia we don't sell fries like that but you know someone (laughs) found it and george found it and uh the people i'm with him like oh my god i'm so nervous that's george perez and like i'm like i gotta go i gotta go talk to him and like i always he goes to dragon every year but i could never find him i could never talk to him and so i finally crossed you know this is my chance i go across the street like george perez and he turns around he's very nice and i'm just like you know real quick i was like i know you're on Somewhere, know you're heading somewhere. I'm like, can I just get a selfie real quick. And I told him, I was like, I think you're the best artist besides Jack Kirby. He goes, Well, that's high praise. You can't beat the king. I was like, You really can't, <laughs> but you're the closest. And he's like, yeah. yeah. I was like, You really. I was like, I had a very troubled childhood, George, and you really helped me a lot with that. I think you're the best. We got our selfies, and I thanked for his hard work again, and sent him on on his way. I mean, I say I, I see him on his way. He left like he did not. <laughs> you,
0: me you can leave, to, sir. <laughs> you know? I was like go ahead and get out of here, buddy. <laughs>
1: I was just a great moment. and I treasure it still. And he was so nice to somebody, you know, who actually probably, this was Monday of the con. So everybody parties hard at dragon con. Like it's a wild time. If you've never been and you're a dork and you're into partying and you're in, you know, things get a little risque. It's a great con for you to go it's plenty for the families too. Don't get me wrong. But if you're with kids, get them out of there around about eight o'clock. Uh, so I never ran into him and he, he was there. And like I said, this was Monday. He had like, he he must've talked to like a thousand people by then. And he was still so gracious and like, and I'm tearing up a little bit y'all cause I'm, a, I'm a fucking softy, but like, and he told me, I was like, thank you. And he's like, no, thank you. It means a lot to me to hear from you. And I, like I said, I've been around a lot of people and you can tell when somebody's bullshitting you when they're famous, he was not bullshitting me. He's never going to think like it was too generic. It's not like, you know, I, I fumbled and like dropped his the original Sergeant Pepper's page of his, like into his ass crack or something you know i mean there's nothing <laughs> memorable about it but like you can tell that it meant something to him he'll probably never remember that interaction but it meant but, but it meant everything to me and you can tell that because it meant everything to me on some level it meant everything to him too we're gonna miss him we've got this great work so it, it's time to talk about it And i picked these issues because we needed to pick something you know quickly and we needed to pick something that would really shine uh his talents this is uh avengers volume three Uh, He's in some of his best work ever. And also, it's got the Squadron Supreme. I love the Squadron Supreme. So you Mm -hmm. get to see George in his best, drawing the Avengers, drawing a million characters, pretty much giving you a Justice League of America Avengers crossover, which that doesn't happen within our purview here. So we weren't going to talk about that. Excuse me, but we do get to talk about the second best thing. Uh, Two really great issues by George on pencils. And then uh, things finish up more or less in the annual 1998 Avengers Squadron Supreme. I love the Squadron Supreme. From the moment I heard about them, I thought this was fantastic. I loved piecing together when I was a kid, like how uh, like I was a goddamn detective. Like I'm like, oh, Skymax, the Sky Skymaster must be the Martian Manhunter. Well, wait to glad you figured that out. Way to go. But anyhow, it was fun. It was neat to see. It was neat to see this spin. I thought the names were cool. I thought I oh I love the miniseries that uh Gruenwald did. I think it's one of the best like postmodern superhero stories of all time. I love when they interact with the uh with the Marvel superheroes. I just really like it. And of course, their existence leads to what is almost inarguably the best joke, JLA Avengers, later on, where you know, Hawk the Avengers are and the JLA are meeting, and Hawkeye's like, ah, these guys, you know, there's something familiar about them. I can't remember. And like all oh, so like, of oh yeah, you guys are a second, you're second-rate squadron supreme, which is probably the best joke in the whole thing. That's great you know, really good moments. So, you know, you put all that together. We're going to, we're going to let George out, how- know how much we love him. We're going to let everybody know how much we love the Avengers, the squadron Supreme nineties comics. And, uh, uh that's very long winded, you know? So I guess, you know, I'm like, I'm like, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. and Jerry Maguire. I got to get off this stage. I've done thank everybody in the world from like, you know, Prince Adam to noam Chomsky. So it's somebody else is started to talk for a little bit, but I reckon y'all all got to right. miss. Uh,
2: I have never met George, unfortunately. Every convention I've been to where he's been in attendance, he's been rightfully mobbed by masses of people. Uh, and I, I, I've never uh, made my way to him. I have been a fan of his ever since I first came across his work on the early part of uh, the Infinity Gauntlet story with Thanos, mm. mm-hmm. uh, which uh, just a few years before uh, these issues hit. So uh, I, I'm a huge fan of his work. I, I really don't see how you can't be uh he really is a a master but the the thing I like most about George Perez is that every time I read about him which is becoming more frequent since his announcement it's nothing but good things and and it's not just that his collaborators and his fans love him it's that people who've only had single contact with him tout him as like what we should all try to be and uh one of the things that I found out recently that I did not know was after he had entered semi-retirement, he made sketches that he would then donate for good causes because he was making enough income from royalties from existing work. And it was one of those things where it was like, that is that is something to champion, even if he were a terrible artist. You know, the fact that right. he's dedicating his work and his time to helping others, many of whom he'll never meet, was one of those things that just hit me and said, oh, good, we can hold him up as this saint, whether or not he, you know, lives for a hundred years or has gone tomorrow. It's it's just like you've made such an impact and I, I want to I wanna remember him for that even more than the art. sometimes.
0: And the same here. I haven't had the opportunity to, you know, meet him personally or anything like that, but I will tell you that I, if you weren't going to say it, I was. Everything I've heard about this guy just screams to me that he is a nice, down-to-earth, decent guy. I mean, he's a decent dude. Like nobody, I haven't heard anybody say anything bad about him. Artistically. Yeah. He is like in the upper echelon of things. He is absolutely 100% one of the uh, most striking artists that I can remember going, I can't believe somebody did that. I can't believe somebody fit that many characters on that page or in that panel. Yeah, and it is heartbreaking for him to come out and, and talk about what he's facing now and to face it with such dignity. That's important, I think, I for anybody. Yeah, it's time to celebrate the man.
1: I went to a panel that he was on where him and Mark Wolfen talked about the crisis. And uh, first up, can you imagine anyone except George Perez drawing that? Like, oh, I can't right. imagine anybody else possibly coming close to pulling it off. Right. But uh, I was, like, first in line because they weren't cl- about where the line was but it turned out that me and like eight other people had actually cut in front of the whole line because <laughs> some people had told us because the line actually started outside the building but the doors were here they just told us to go to these doors and you know we didn't do anything wrong nobody was mad but mar him and him and mar like walked up they were nice to everybody who talked to them i tried to respect their private i did not talk to them at that time because they were about to do a panel i hope to see them later I would yeah. probably wouldn't have walked up to him on the street if it wasn't, like, Monday. We're like, this was it, baby. But he went in there. They were nice. And, like, when it came to Q&A time, George was like, you know, somebody comes up. He's like, before you say anything, I just want to say you're very brave. It's so hard to be the first one. So congratulations. And, like, he did this the whole time. Everybody's questioning it, something nice to say about it. Wild. <laughs> Just like a complete gentleman.
0: Awesome. Well, let's go ahead. We'll talk about our books here. So we're we're looking at Avengers number five and number six and the annual uh, from 1998, Avengers Squadron Supreme Annual. That synopsis is coming up. But first, let me talk about Amazon Music. If you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs, Amazon Music has you covered. If you head to getamazonmusic.com/w2mnetwork, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com/w the number two m network for that free 30-day trial. Uh, Avengers number five cover date June of 1998. Hit the shelves, April 29th, 1998. Title of the story is Accusation Most Foul. And uh, written by Kurt Busiek, penciled by George Perez, inked by Al Vey, lettered by Richard Starkings. All this coming, oh, and the color is Tom Smith. All this coming off of uh, our good buddy Mike's Amazing World of Comics. So I want to do a quick synopsis here, and then we'll just kind of jump into some things. Uh, and this is, man, this synopsis. Uh, sometimes I'm like, man, I want to get into all the details. And then I'm like, I shouldn't get into all the details. <laughs> Because uh, oh, no. we're, we're going to talk about it. So here we go. This is about as broad as you can get. When a plane crashes in the middle of an ocean, of the ocean, uh, the Avengers are called to help rescue the survivors. During the operation, the Squadron Supreme appears, accusing the Avengers of being imposters, and the rescue mission gets sidelined when they attack. When both teams finally focus on the passengers that are still very much in danger, cooler heads prevail. However... News footage of the skirmish and accusations by the Squadron Supreme of the team not being the real deal. That's right. The Avengers are fake. Has greatly damaged the public perception of the Avengers. After these events, government liaison Dwayne Freeman informs the team they have 48 hours to prove they are who they are or they may face arrest. So that right there is Avengers number five. So, okay. I did want to talk about the time frame of these books, because you know, hey, we we do focus on the '90s here, but I think it's important to, for people to understand that why in the world would nobody believe the Avengers are who the Avengers are? Dean, you want to take that one?
1: Well, I mean, essentially, it has to do with the uh, the onslaught saga, which led to Heroes Reborn, where Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee uh, were doing the books. The books were subcontracted out to them: Fantastic Four, Iron Man, uh, Captain America, and Avengers. And uh, and canonically, the Avengers were gone, so. Everybody thought that all these guys were pretty much dead. And also in the interim, the Thunderbolts uh, got together, which the Thunderbolts turned out to be the masters of evil. If you're in the Marvel Universe at this time, to be honest, any time, like, you think about, like, Secret Wars, like, ah, big fucking machine showed up in Central Park and all the heroes were gone, I guess now they're back, it's fine. You know, or, like, <laughs> if, you know, I don't think most people remember the Infinity Gauntlet, but I think there's some other stuff. where Like, Inferno, some people remember or whatever. It seemed like they'd be used to it, but also they're not. So after the ruse with the Thunderbolts, the Avengers having come and gone it's not hard to plant seeds of doubt at this point. Also, in the first few issues of this Avengers run, after they get back from uh, Morgana Le Fay's uh, magic world that she uh, entrapped them in, there's this issue where, like, everybody's getting each other ways, like, Namor and She-Hulk accidentally, like, knock off Machine Man's leg or something, because all, like, 85,112 Avengers were involved, and they were, you know, narrowing it down, which is one of my favorite tropes. That's what Mm -hmm. actually happens at number four. They get the roster down to where it's gonna be. So, those are the reasons pretty much you know you know the uh the image just popped back up they had been gone the thunderbolts had just played a big ruse uh hard to trust and, and the marvel universe already has the x-men this isn't you know we're going to talk a lot about the dc versus marvel during this because of the squadron supreme it's not the dc universe like when superman comes back and they're like hey weren't you just like punching everybody down he's like "Oh, was mind controlled by dark side and they're like oh okay well glad that's over the <laughs> Marvel Universe is the universe with the X Men. It's a darker universe. It's an untrusting universe. It's 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 realer in that way. It's New York City, not metropolis. So people aren't looking for reasons to trust the Avengers. They're looking for reasons not to trust the Avengers.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, there's there's some shade being thrown by the Squadron Supreme. Like, hey, these guys aren't who they say they are. But not only you know, not only that. Prior to even the Squadron Supreme showing up, we get like a litany of superhero drama that occurs. You know, I, I had a little list here of things that I I put down just because it seemed like each member of the Avengers was working through some stuff, either with another member of the Avengers or something that themselves were were faced with. We have Wanda and Vision. Uh, so uh, right now, just to kind of get everybody in the headspace as to what is happening with those two. Yeah, this isn't Vision from 2021. This is uh, a Vision and Wanda who were married at one point. Now, I think, I don't even know if they're divorced. Well, he was and,
1: disassembled.
0: Right. You know, I That's mean, true. Uh,
1: that's pretty close to divorce. <laughs>
0: Yep, yep. I mean, I think he even says something about that in the comic, but he, he, he mentions does, yeah. about how like, hey, I'm I'm a completely different person now. How how can I be married to Wanda? <laughs> Wanda and Wonder Man. Now, Wonder Man's kind of like a blank spot for me, so I'll, I'll you know I I just know that according to what I saw in the comic here, Wonder Man uh, died, uh, or at least they thought he died, and Wanda's kind of trying to get over that. And then throughout this issue, we find out she's able to summon him in some kind of like, uh, he's like a, in some type of energy form or something. And it's almost like he doesn't have have any idea or ha- ha- cares that he's practically dead. Now, granted, that might be explained prior to in some of the issues, but it just kind of took me by surprise. Like, hey, Wonder Man, he's dead, but oh, look, hey, he's just uh, he's just hanging out uh, in Wanda's magic sphere or something. I have no idea what's going on there, but uh, there's Wonder Man.
2: Go ahead, man. The interesting thing about Wonder Man, for, for those who are only familiar with the MCU versions of the characters, is that in the comics, Vision is based on Wonder Man. He's not based right. on Iron Man or the Hulk or uh, anything to do with the Infinity Stones. So it's interesting to go back to this book where it was like, oh, yeah, I know that the Vision and Wonder Man have the same mind. And it's uh, writer Kurt Busiek's way of saying, well, what was Wanda really attracted to in Vision? Was she attracted to the Vision or was she attracted to this other guy uh, who who can be resurrected? And is their connection going to be something that he goes into? But yeah, to to your point, Jesse, uh, Kurt Busiek is on full display here with the A plot, the B plot and the C plot. I mean, we're right. reading this because the team is fighting the Squadron Supreme. This, I mean, I bought this off the the rack and it was very much like we need to move the story forward because his entire run, which would go on for a few more years, it is one long super saga. So it's is it actually really? great. Yeah, Wonder and, Man
1: yep. died in a Force Works number one, and it was like okay. a big uh, surprise, you know, like oh, the Avengers West Coaster, you know, had just disbanded, and this was a new thing. And Wonder Man dies in the first issue, and this these are the first times we're seeing him again. It has not been explained, and also to touch on what you were saying, Derry, the uh, the Vision, Wonder Man, Scarlet Witch love triangle had started to be explored in Wonder Man solo series and the uh, Avengers. West Coast of the time for the reasons you're saying if if, if Vision is just Simon Williams Wonderman's Wonder Man's brain patterns and Scarlet Witch fell in love with Vision it would stand to reason that Wonder Man and Scarlet Witch would be attracted to one another like yeah. that just makes sense. And so this was something that had been going on but hadn't really been touched. Like, I think in real time, Force Works number one comes out in probably nineteen ninety-three or four. So in real time, Wonder Man had been dead for like four or five years. He's not part of the crossing, he's not part of Onslaught. This is the first time we're seeing him. The first time we're seeing him again is during uh during this run. And yeah, you're right. There's a lot of drama going on. I think one of the best ways to describe this run that Busiek and uh Perez had and later on, I don't know. I don't remember who draws it after uh, Perez leaves. It's a love letter to the 70s Avengers, the Steve Englehart, George Perez story. Oddly enough so it's funny it's, it's like the old John Fogarty thing where you know he got sued for plagiarizing himself yeah. is George Perez just plagiarizing himself or I don't think so his style's improved you know he's he's even sleeker somehow and everything but it's funny to think about that like when you think about this as being an homage it is literally homage to another era that Perez was a part of and mm-hmm. that's why you get all that drama Englehart was big on that kind of drama the, the big interpersonal relations yeah everybody seems to have something to do I don't think Iron Man it's treated very well, but Pusek was writing Iron Man's Solos book at the time, too, so maybe he was taking care of that business there.
0: Uh, Derry, do you have any idea, or can you shed any light on what's going on with Carol Danvers and uh, slash Warbird here? I I wish I could say I was picking up 90s Avengers. But I would be lying. I was not picking up '90s Avengers and reading it. I to see this character that I was like, oh, hey, that's Miss Marvel. Uh, oh, no way, saying ca- I uh, no uh, 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 Warbird. Wait a second. So, any idea what's going on with her? Is there like, uh, is she is she a drunk? I don't know if that's even touched on in here. But
2: <laughs> she she is what? she is an alcoholic in this story. And, okay, uh, all right. You mentioned Iron Man not having anything to do, and that's true. But he does make a point of saying you know, hey, Cap, I actually know what's going on. Why don't you not, don't push this. I, I'm going to talk to her when we have a little bit of privacy. Um, but yeah,
1: she winds up being her sponsor in his solo title or something. Like okay. a sponsor thing or he gets her into a group or something. So, okay. so this, this goes on there, I, I believe. I can't say for sure.
2: I was going to say, I, I don't remember that, but I, I did remember thinking at the time, and I, I thought this as I was rereading, people were really looking for things to do with Carol Danvers at this period of time, because for so long, especially during the nineties, she was out of action. You know, her powers right. that were given to rogue. She was in a coma. She was taken off the board by Chris Claremont in an earlier Avengers story. And her reintroduction here is kind of funny because it's, it's like, well, we know her as captain Marvel. We know her as this huge hero in this iconic costume in this very successful film, but like, at this point, this was this was my first introduction to her when I got this comic originally. And I was like, oh, Carol, I kind of vaguely know her. What, what's her deal? And then it's like, she's an alcoholic. And I was like, wait, what? What is going yeah. on here? And it was one of those things where it was like, well, we're, we're going to see what's going to take. Like, we're going to give her this weird questionable costume. She's going to have a new name. She's going to be the Warbird. She's just been the binary. She's going to have different powers and everything else. And it's 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 unfortunate to watch the character like struggle through the next couple of years until her big relaunch from Kelly Sue DeConnick and Jamie McKelvey. And I, I forget the artist on that book. I apologize. But that's when she becomes Captain Marvel. And it's, oh, yeah. it's so close, but we're not there yet. So watching this middling stuff, it's almost like you know, I, I know there's a good Carol in there. I, I don't necessarily right. know that she comes off great in this story. But but yeah, she's uh, she's a drinker. It's
1: really weird that, like, honestly, that you would call her Warbird. If you recall, like, the story of Marvel creating uh Marvel Captain Marvel, it was to keep DC from publishing a Captain Marvel book that would have a Marvel name with, you know— DC Publishing. That's why it had, that's why they eventually, when they licensed uh, Captain Marvel from Boston, it had to be Shazam. Why would you, like, open yourself up to that here? Like, she should just, I mean, and again, I know, also, I think Ms. Marvel is a better name, like, like, to be honest with you. Um, But, like, it's wild that, like, you would uh, not utilize your IP in such a manner. Like, we would never dream of that today. You would never change somebody, a character who is part of Marvel with Marvel in their name to, like, anything else.
0: Carol's obviously, in Warburg throughout these couple issues, she's very on the edge. Like, she snaps. Uh, if somebody tells her to do something, there's definitely some spots where Captain America's trying to take the leader role or is the leader, obviously, and trying to direct her on what to do, and she is not having it. Uh, so that's just one, again, another uh, personal uh, struggle for one of the team members here. And then uh, last well, her bit powers of-
1: aren't working. Before we're seeing her again here, she's been wrapped up with the Star Jammers and the X-Men, and she's been binary and binary Mm -hmm. has like these like big cosmic powers and i forget how she got them or exactly what it could do but she can't access them now she's just limited to like her flight her super strength and like, I think she has like enhanced reflexes and shit. And But she doesn't want to tell anybody because she's worried that she'll be off the team. The more she doesn't tell anybody, the more she drinks to cope with that, the more she drinks to cope with that, the more of an asshole she becomes. Yeah, Uh, And and, and, But you know, and it could all be solved if she would just be like, yeah, my binary powers don't work or aren't working properly. We know that and that's explored in the last, uh, and the few issues before this, because like Derry said, I actually picked these up off the rack. Like I had just started college. And in Batesville, where I grew up, there was no local comic shop anymore, but there was one in uh, Jonesboro where Arkansas state is. And it was within walking distance from the campus. And it was right next to a Wendy's motherfucker. I was, that was me. That was, there you that go, was, dude. they designed this with me and my, a record store, two doors down. I go down nice. there. I can get like a CD. I can get comic books. I can get some Wendy's nuggets. We're in business. So I actually bought all, nice. all of these. I had a pull list for like the first time in my life. And I, I actually was able to get all of these because this would have been August. I was able to get all of these because they were still on the rack and then put Avengers in my pull list. So,
0: Derry, what do you think of our tension between Captain America and Hawkeye?
2: Yeah, that, that's actually my favorite Avengers trope of all time. My my favorite Avenger was always Hawkeye. And a lot of that is because of Busiek, both his use here and then a little later in Thunderbolts, watching him fight with Captain. He's so good two. in Thunderbolts. Oh, Got to agree
1: there. Amazing. He's amazing. Probably yeah, the best I mean- use of the character ever. Until Fraction did the stuff with... I, I was going to say, until yeah. Fraction
2: and aja yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, that Thunderbolts run is, is it kind of grows out of what you mentioned before with the West Coast Avengers, where it's like, well, is one of the few Avengers where, uh, commercially, he can run his own book, but also in the story, it's like, oh, he's in charge of the team? Oh, okay, that's probably going to work out. But but I love it. I always tell people my favorite version of Avengers is the Kooky Quartet, when it's Cap and Hawkeye and the Maximov twins, and everyone's just yelling at each other other you, you know what yeah that's what they do the whole time
1: yeah great I mean, so it's great stuff it, it, it's some of the best character development that stan lee does in the silver age honestly because you watch those guys go from reviled villains to everyone accepting them not just as heroes but they like hawkeye or scarlet witch could lead the team quicksilver's still an asshole but well, that's
2: fine yeah yeah so i <laughs> i love it I, it's my favorite part i i showed up for that everything else was was gravy and it, it's great too because you get to see you know obviously this arc features a version of of the Justice League, but done in the mighty Marvel manner. And it's just great to see that, that compare and contrast where you have, you know, Captain America, the perfect man, uh, you know, getting yelled at by a guy who ran away to join the carnival and now runs around in a purple costume and you buy it because, you know, Hawkeye keeps Cap honest and cat makes hawkeye a better hero and it's one of those things where it's like this is, person. yeah exactly this, this is the drama i showed up for so yeah this is this is this is what
0: i love most about the avenger
1: what's your favorite avengers trope jesse
0: oh oh my goodness i don't know dude i mean it would be tough for me to say since i don't have too much experience reading it you know i know captain america i know iron man but i know them more along on their s- solo adventures i don't know much of them as a team in the avengers themselves so what about you i mean you said you know yours
1: yeah mine is just every i don't know it seems like at least dozen issues sometimes sooner we get it we, we get a fucking cover where it's like, who will be in the Avengers? <laughs> and he's got a bunch of guys. <laughs>
0: cross them around, out, cross them out.
1: You know, <laughs> and like, you know, uh, George Frez do doing great, but we're like Henry Peter Geirich. It's like, you, you, there's so many of you. And there's like 30 people, the Guardians of the Galaxy are there. But I love the issues where they're like, who's going to be an Avenger? Who's right. gonna the one who's going to do it? And I love those covers, which is like a bunch of different people. So that's yeah. my favorite Avengers trope. Close second is Captain America yelling Avengers assemble at any time.
0: Oh, well, yeah. We haven't had a chance to even talk about Squadron Supreme showing up here, so let's go ahead and talk about our first battle. All right, Squadron Supreme have showed up on the scene, and we get a full-page splash of them. Point, I think. Uh, my goodness, I have it right here. I think. Uh, I think Hyperion is pointing the finger. Pointing the finger, you know. It, it it's just- <laughs> I tell you what. So let's let's go ahead. I want to start with you, Dean. What do you think of our battle here? I mean, we, this is what we came to the show for.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I love the Squadron Supreme. Like I said earlier, you know, from the first time I learned about them, I thought they were great. They have a convoluted history, but I love the miniseries. I love the graphic novel that comes out after this uh, storyline. I think that pastiche characters are always a lot of fun. You can do some really neat stuff with them. You can take chances with Hyperion that you could, that DC could never at that time take with Superman. Now you can probably do anything. I mean, they showed Batman's dick, so anything's <laughs> on the table. But like, you know, but at the time, like, there were things you might not do, and you could. You could use these guys for it. And uh, I'm a sucker for the fight. Like, I'm a big wrestling fan. I love the big fight. I love the hype. I love the big fight atmosphere. And the Avengers in the Marvel Universe, honestly, don't have a lot of guys that, like, do that. I mean, like, the Masters of Evil can, but only when handled correctly because they're saddled with a dumbass name. Kang, Doctor Doom, also can. I think Ultron can as well. But the Avengers, like, don't have as big a rogues gallery as you might think and the squadron supreme in theory i mean they're the justice league of america like the superpowered, big 70s 80s one you know from elongated man to green arrow that's 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 something i want to see so i love that atmosphere here comes you know the biggest baddest superheroes of their world versus the biggest baddest superheroes of the marvel universe and on paper they should really mop the floor with the Avengers. Right. on paper they should they're a, they're a lot more powerful like just like the jla would be but the avengers are scrappy smarter they're fighting on their own home turf so yeah i just so when i saw that splash page it's my favorite page in all of the books and it's funny because later in the annual there'll be a page that's similar and i just and and i put them next to each other and it was just it was great to see that symmetry but like yeah they they have that gravitas for what have you for a team that like always gets mind control and is treated like as a joke by the avengers and a lot of people in the marvel universe they still have that gravitas to me Derry. i think that for whatever reason i still buy them as very legitimate and very
2: threatening. You know, it's it's funny. First of all, you're 100% wrong. The name The Masters of Evil is one of the greatest <laughs> of all time because <laughs> yeah. it's ridiculous. It's over the top and you immediately know what you're getting into. It's like, That's you fair. know, Barrett Baron Zemo is a cartoonish villain. He's like the son of a Nazi. Wears a purple mask. He's so over the top. So what? You know what is his team called? Or his father's team? We are the Masters of Evil. Oh, okay, I'm pretty sure I can feel good when Cap beats you up. Um, but right. but I I agree. I love the Squadron Supreme for all those reasons because, you know, I'm not, I I like Marvel much more than DC for whatever that's worth, and the Squadron can get away with all those really interesting stories that they don't have to worry about four ongoing Superman titles, 16 ongoing Batman titles and everything else. You know, they can do a story where Nighthawk and Hyperion, their versions of Batman and Superman, beat the hell out of each other and then, you know, there's real repercussions from that. So I I am a huge Squadron Supreme fan, and and i Really, I hope they get a movie one day. I hope the House of Ideas gets to show Warner Brothers, hey, this is how you do the Big Seven on screen.
0: Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. You
2: think they could do that
1: legally though? Like, I'm not like I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an IP guy. I know they published these characters for a while, but like now you're going to, a, 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 I don't know. That it's I, I just read Slugfest and it seems like there's weird, I can uh, unspoken, you know, tacit agreements between them to I mean, where like that, that, that they could sue over the Squadron Supreme, but they. don't i'm not a lawyer so i don't understand as much about this stuff
2: i think it's a question i think it's two things one are you going to cast Henry Cavill as Hyperion? Then I might be like, hey, we're getting into weird legal territory. You know, if if a trailer comes out and Henry Cavill is dressed as Hyperion and uh, Ben Affleck is dressed as Nighthawk, then we might have an issue. But at the same time, you got to remember, you know, you mentioned before Carol Danvers' connection to Shazam. It's like Carol Danvers' Captain Marvel movie and the Billy Batson Shazam film we're in theaters at the same time so at some right. point these two giant multinational media conglomerates they have an understanding and if marvel really wanted to put out a squadron supreme movie i would think they could but again i mean you know who who knows we're certainly not getting justice league 2 anytime soon That's true. I mean, and also
1: not being a lawyer, I guess one of the arguments you could make is you'd be like, well, if you had a problem with this, why didn't you say something in 1969 when Squadron Sinister was created? Mm -hmm. Like, you've let this go on for a long time. From what I understand, and again, I know just enough to be dangerous of of trademark law, like, you have to protect it, and they haven't done so. So you can't show up now and be like, hey, you can't do that. I can't say that's for sure, but I know that's I know that's an argument you could possibly make,
0: Jerry, What do you think uh, about the battle itself? Did you have a favorite? I mean, they each member pretty much squares off with another member of the opposite team to fight. Were there any missed opportunities, or was there one? You know, was there one that really stood out to you that you really loved? What were your thoughts here of the battle?
2: It's it's perfect for a variety of reasons. You know, one, it was mentioned before that the Squadron Supreme are always mind-controlled, which I love because, you know, they try to hang a lantern on it, but at the end of the day... It's like, if the Justice League is going to be in this comic, they're going to fight the Avengers. And whatever narrative reason we're going to come up with to back into them fighting, we're going to get there. But it, it doesn't matter. You you know, if you see the Squadron Supreme on the cover, someone's going to be punching someone else. So I <laughs> I, I like the fact that they try to draw attention to it, but it's, it's inevitable. It's like, oh, you're both in this book, you're going to beat the hell out of each other. This is where Perez lives. I, I mean, each character is fully rendered. I mean, I'm looking at the pages as I'm saying this, and there's no missed opportunities. You know, even when the characters back or towards you, you know who who they are. You know how they're positioned. Everyone's got a unique pose. And then when the fighting starts, it's, it's kinetic and exhausting. Like, he mm. does not waste a single panel. He doesn't waste a single motion. Everything is rendered. Like, I, I don't know how long it takes him to do this. But one panel I'm looking at has Cap hanging off the back of... The Quinjet, while he punches one of them in the face and then blocks an attack from another one, you get to the end of this and it feels like you've you've watched it. And it's yeah. because not only do you get your money's worth, but it's true art. You right, know, another
1: I, thing that I really like about Perez, and he does this great in both both issues, but it really stood out to me when I was going back to this uh, today in this issue. He is amazing at making things happen simultaneously in real time. Like where this is happening he's got these panels laid out where you're watching like Hawkeye fight but Scarlet Witch actually gets Skylark to land on her. She's under the water. She winds up like taking her freaking like cloak off and like capturing Skylark like in it at the same time while there's panels on each side showing you everything that was happening at the same time. I I don't know anybody else who does that so well if at all.
0: Right. And when it comes to down to like detail of characters. The one thing that stood out to me, just look at Scarlet Witch's hair. Just look at how much detail went into every single curl. It that to me I, that right there would drive me nuts. Like, cause I feel like I would have to spend an hour just working on her hair in one panel. Any, anybody else would have probably just, oh, okay, she's got a couple curls here and there, but I mean, it looks like a, a full head of a full head of hair. And it's amazing how much detail goes into that. You know, that is something else I was going to comment on Dean. You, you brought it up about the whole, you know, you got people talking, uh, but in the background, you can see Hawkeye is trying to get a hold of the wizard and the wizard's like running laps around this place. And so, yeah, everything is going on all at once. And it's even uh, like it, it is the this. issue
1: starts that way. Like even before the fight, it starts Thor shows up with, with, with the goddamn casket of ancient winners like Thor. are like, what, you keep, what are you bringing this here for? Like, keep this away from people. And Jarvis, of course, trying to be nice. is like, oh, well, I'll shine that up. Hey, don't open it or we'll all die in nice age. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, you know, but like, if you look if when you turn the page, that's happening on the left and on the right, Warbird and Captain America are practicing. They're in uh-huh. the, whatever the Avengers equivalent of the danger room is. I forget what it's called. It's, you know, you know, um, but they're practicing going through their rounds and everything. And he's showing this happen to you at the same time. And you really get, we talk about comics as sequential art and it is, but one of the things that George Perez does and he does it really well here is he makes it chronological art. He is showing you how things are happening in time with each other. And like I said, a lot of people can't do that as well, if at all. Yeah. And, and it starts that way. The whole the whole issues like that, like you understand that these things are because that's one of the things that like people will talk about. They're like, how can these people have so much time to say all this? And then this happens and then that happens. Well, he's showing you how it does.
0: Before I move on to the next thing there, Dean, I, I wanted to give you the opportunity. Any missed booking opportunities here
1: <laughs> for no, this classic no, o- match? only because of, like, continuity purposes. Like, the Golden Archer is dead. Uh, uh, okay. Other um, Amphibian uh, isn't here. So there's not a whole lot. Like, these are the people that you get to deal with. Captain Hawk. Captain Hawk. That's what what a name C A P apostrophe N Hawk. He's dead as well. Or you'd want to see like, like maybe him and Warburg go at it. But as it is, all you're really looking for, honestly, is Thor versus Hyperion here. Yes like like i I mean and and that's what that's what you're looking for that's what you get they give you plenty of it in both issues and uh and they really subtly do a good job of letting you know that maybe hyperion can take the spell you know (laughs) i mean that that it wouldn't have to bounce too far for it to go his way you'll notice thor needs wonder man just about every time although Mm -hmm. in the second issue hyperion gets an assist from his buddy doc
2: Specter. wait wait you you're gonna name drop the Golden Archer and Captain Hawk, but you're not going to mention the fact that they don't bring in Nighthawk? Like you mentioned earlier, there's there's six other nighthawks it's like come on man he's the best character <laughs> grab he, grab one from the defenders let let captain america he's fight right batman
1: now. he's dead right now
2: all right he's dead but i mean <laughs> at the end of the day if i got george perez drawing this i'm gonna be like i want a batman in here we'll figure out who it is later on
1: i don't disagree okay. with you and you know if yeah. you go all the way through and read like uh the uh the graphic novel new world order that uh lynn kaminsky wrote um, there is a nighthawk in there and they probably could have somehow gotten that nighthawk mm-hmm. in here. But like I said with like with with Cap Hawk and Golden Archer, name dropping you acted like, you know, a name dropped when I talked about meeting George Perez. nobody name dropped <laughs> Cap Hawk. Um uh I, I knew Nighthawk was dead. That was the thing. And he's not only dead like in their world, he's dead in this world at the time. But in both worlds I think he gets better.
2: Yeah, quick quick aside, anyone I always like to recommend underrated comics. Anyone who enjoys any part of this, there's a there are two really great Nighthawk series later on featuring an updated African-American version of the character. One's got art by Steve Dillon. It was from The Ultimate Line. I think it was written by Mm -hmm. Daniel Way, and there was a follow-up a couple of years later, and and I am blanking on the creative team. I feel so bad, but that was set in the 616, and uh, both featured this more extreme Marvel version of Batman named Nighthawk, not directly connected to this. Uh, really, please seek out both those series. Both very good stories.
1: Yeah, very good. The Supreme Power stuff holds up uh, pretty well, too. Agreed. And there is also, if you're interested in another good Nighthawk story that uh, is a little underrated, the the uh, the new Defenders story where after the Civil War when he's trying to get the Defenders back together.
2: Uh, yeah. It. The Last Defenders by Joe. Casey. The Last
1: Defenders. That's it. I couldn't remember. Yeah. It's the official a really fun team
2: story.
0: of New Jersey.
1: Yeah. The official <laughs> superhero team of New Jersey. Also a really good one. And uh, Colossus is in it for a little bit. So I like oh, Okay,
0: Nice. You know, before we move on, you know, let's go ahead and just real quick, Dean, I think you said your favorite of the whole series was the splash page with the squadron supreme showing up, right? Was there any is there anything yeah. else that stood out to you?
1: Really like the Hawkeye Wizard battle as well. As far as the issue goes, though, the other thing that stood out to me is we're really getting a lot of Avengers tropes in one. And at the end of it, we're getting the Avengers trope where it's like, hey. We might revoke your security clearance watch <laughs> out because that seems to happen every like i don't know 30 45 minutes to the avengers as well
0: <laughs> derry how about you man anything anything has stood out to you here anything left unsaid as well for avengers number five
2: i love the ending i i love the fact that the avengers can deal with uh the kree the skrulls God, whatever you throw at them. And at the end of the day, there's still some bureaucrat who shows up and, and ruins everything. And, and not even because it makes sense. I don't really think it does, but just because they get so bothered by it. Like they're sitting in the, they're sitting in the room with Dwayne and Clint's getting annoyed and everyone's getting annoyed. And it's just so funny. Cause it's like, yeah, that that's them. You know, they don't live on the moon. They live on fifth <laughs> Avenue. Um, so I love that. I love any excuse to, for them to get bogged down in this nonsense. I love and Dwayne's this. one of
1: the good ones.
2: Yeah, yeah, and for yeah, like for those he's who like don't... the
1: best guy they ever have as far as like their liaison. Yeah, for <laughs> though, for those who don't
2: know, Dwayne does not turn out to be a bad guy or a plant or something like that. He, he hasn't been seen since this run ended, but he, yeah, you're absolutely right. He, he He's a, an ardent supporter of them. So he's, he's not gyric. He's not a, he's not a villain. He's trying to do the best. And it's just this idea that when the late nineties rolled around in story, the governments were all worried, like, are you clones? Are you duplicates? Are you something else? Did you really die? Oh my God, the mutants are going to kill everyone. Like it was a real interesting period because no one could really trust them. Things, so. And this mm-hmm. is
1: right after like the scrolls had infiltrated part of the government too. I think in Captain America, so they were they also mentioned. like in in story like worried about that uh, that as well. But uh, but yeah, and, and they're always bogged down with it. And, but Dwayne Freeman is good with the bureaucracy, and like I said, he, but even as much as he greases it, it still never gets that slick.
0: Obviously, I would absolutely agree with you that uh, panel slash page of this book for sure is Squadron Supreme's first appearance with the accusatory finger point. But I will tell you that Thor cracking Hyperion in the face, that was awesome. Dynamic. (laughs) Dynamic. So I'll. Barely, uh, I
1: say the name
0: (laughs) right in the face. We'll get we'll get to moving on here. Let's get into our second issue. So in this issue, trying to determine the best way to show the government they are definitely the real deal the Avengers decide to pay a visit to Project Pegasus, the home of the Squadron Supreme. Their plan is to find out if there is something or someone that is making the Squadron say these things. I mean, how could you say these things about us? We're the real deal. When it seems that nothing is out of the ordinary, the Squadron Supreme show up and we get round two of them against the Avengers. When the Scarlet Witch begins to feel something's off, she reaches out with her powers, breaking a strange hold that had taken over the Squadron. When the leader of Project Pegasus barges in and demands the Squadron take the Avengers prisoner. Hawkeye shoots a small device off of the leader's belt, which happens to be an image inducer revealing the villainous Corrupter. The Corrupter has been using his power to influence the Squadron Supreme and into doing and saying things in order to discredit the Avengers. However, the team soon realized the Corrupter was hypnotized into doing these things in the first place. Now the teams are left with Inception. questions. <laughs> the teams are left with questions as to who was behind all of this. So, you know, my first set of notes here is there's definitely some more drama. We've already kind of talked about Warbird and what's going on with her, and that continues throughout this issue. We get a little bit more light shed on what's going on, and Derek kind of mentioned it earlier. I think this is the issue where – Iron Man kind of speaks up and is like, hey, look, you know, you might want to ease off. I'll talk to her. Uh, and then we have Hothead Hawkeye. I mean, Captain America and Hawkeye are going to go at it at the beginning of this issue, if I remember correctly. And we, we kind of talked about the tension before. It's coming, it's gone up another notch. What, how do you think this thing turned out here between Hawkeye and Cap? Because you know, it, it, it turned out
1: the way it almost always does, honestly. First off, Hawkeye is always on some level when he comes around Captain America, he doesn't feel good enough. So he gets impetuous and he starts. Starts to call the old man out. But it's like the Garth Brooks song. You call the old man out, he beats your ass. And so he never actually calls him out. I think what happens here is like Hawkeye has a legitimate complaint as well. And I think Cap sort of realizes that. In that like when they were trapped in uh, Morgana Lefay's world, his counsel was very much, you know, relied upon. But now Cap's kind of, you know, Cap's kind of got a little tunnel vision. Uh, Hawkeye also has gotten used to giving the orders instead of taking them. So you kind of combine those things. Excuse me, Hawkeye has a good point. Captain America wants them to do something slightly different they could both be right mm-hmm. because at one point they're arguing like Cap's like I need you to help you know you know, rescue survivors and he's like but I could do this easier you know this other thing and he's like that's what I want you to do hey they're both good things to do probably mm-hmm. and one of the and so here in this issue they you know Cap's, you know, Hawkeye finally mouths off to Cap one too many times in in front of everyone. Which Derry, since his favorite Avengers is Cap's Kooky Quartet, he's very familiar with that. Hawkeye mouths off one too many times, and then usually Cap takes him aside. He's like, "So what's the deal, man?" And then in this case, Cap really shows that you know he's Cap. He's like, "Listen, there can only be one leader, buddy." Because the Hawkeye's ready to fight. Yeah, it's like only one leader. Everybody's got to do what they say. And if you don't want to listen to me, then I'll step down. It could be you. And Hawkeye's not ready for that. That's the perfect move. Hawkeye doesn't really want Cap to step down. Hawkeye doesn't really want, you know, he certainly doesn't want to lose the respect that everybody else has. right. You know, for Cap. He doesn't want to lose the respect that people have for him. He doesn't want to be the go, oh, they come back out, Cap quick, because I want to be the leader, so now I'm in charge. Nobody's going to go for that. So I think that Cap handled it perfectly, and Hawkeye admits he's just a little high-strung. It's just different. He led the West Coast Avengers, and now he doesn't lead a team, and that's one of the things that will tie into what we were talking about, why he leaves the Avengers for Thunder, the Thunderbolts. He, he needs to be a leader at this point in uh, his superhero career, and uh, I think that's just showing through great character development on both of them. And, and Captain America mentions they're so high-strung, but without that intensity, they're not the best in the world, and the leader has to deal with that. Uh, I, I really like that line, and I really like that uh, Hawkeye wanted to go down to Washington and just fight the Squadron Supreme right then. Yeah. Cap came up with a better idea. And, like, you know, Hawkeye asked me, he goes, if I had, if I was leader and I made the decision to go to Washington, would you have gone? Cap's like, you wouldn't have made the decision. It's a bad call. And I think that that's a perfect way to defuse the situation. Captain America beat Hawkeye in a fight without anybody throwing a punch.
2: And Hawkeye it, wanted to lose. It's, it's nice too, because they, they used to be, you know, before the MCU, they used to be very similar. I mean, you can see in this issue, they're both. Blonde with blue eyes. They're similar builds. You know, they're they're similar looking characters. And, you know, Cap didn't used to really have superpowers. They used to say, well, he was the ideal human. You know, he was as strong as you could possibly be. And he trained constantly. So he and Hawkeye were, you know, similar power level. Because Hawkeye has absolutely no superpowers. And, And of the core Avengers crew, they're pretty much the only ones without anything else to rely on. So they're really these, like... Very similar people who are put in similar situations. They're both very down to earth. Uh, And, you know, Hawkeye's got a lot of daddy issues. So this guy from the greatest generation shows up and, you know, starts giving orders that are, for the most part, pretty good. Hawkeye, he's got to respond. He doesn't know how else to do it. So I always love the mirror image because, you know, Hawkeye is given the ability to fail and he's given the ability to change. And we know he ends up on Thunderbolts. We know he can start an Avengers team with like, you know, three days notice if all the other heroes go missing. He, he He can do it, but he can only do it Because to Dean's point, Cap showed him how to do it. And half the time, it was just beating him at his own game.
1: Yeah, he's number five for me. Like, if there's a big crossover and, like, you know, who's going to be the leader of the Marvel Universe? Like, number one, it's obviously Cap. Like, Cap's the guy, you know? Number two for me is, like, Reed Richards. It'll probably be Reed Richards next. Then it would be Cyclops. Then it would be Iron Man. And then it would be Hawkeye. As weird as that sounds, like, Hawkeye would be the guy bossing around Thor and Hercules and stuff. Because, like, (laughs) if if the other guys weren't there. Because you're right. Cap showed him how to be that leader.
2: I got to throw a name in there and not just because I can't stand Cyclops, but Luke Cage, you know, I would say one of the things that Brian Michael Bendis did when he was on the Avengers was showed that Luke Cage, when put in the right story, can absolutely lead a team of superheroes, and his arc from New Avengers number one uh, through through the end past Civil War and everything else really shows that. And I I think that if all the chips were down and all the the Baxter Building and Avengers Mansion and 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 the school. Or all taken off the map. I, I think uh, I think Luke could put together a team and and save the day. I think he's one of those characters that's really been shown. Like you know, you underestimate him at your own peril.
1: Yeah, you know, I haven't seen a lot of that because I quit reading uh, New Avengers around. Uh, gosh, I don't even remember now. Around when Mighty Avengers started. So um, mm-hmm. uh, so so I didn't see, but I can certainly see his potential for it. And I agree with you. Cyclops is an asshole, but that's part of what would make it work. You know, mm-hmm. it, you know, honestly, like he's just a really good field sergeant. Like he's just a really good military style commander you could probably put cable in there too if you wanted as well luke cage black widow probably you know not a bad not a bad call those would be my top five but you know the three i just you know you throw in luke cage and i'll throw in black widow and you know you could you could probably you could take any of them out probably and put any of them in. okay but yeah cyclops is you know, he's a jerk i'm a great <laughs> favorite character cyclops how is that possible
0: uh round two hits we got Squadron Supreme shows up. What the hell are you guys doing in our house? And we get a big battle once again.
2: So just to give uh, just a, a smidge of background on this, the facility they're at is Project Pegasus, which is a, a Marvel you know mainstay. It was even in the first Avengers film. And the, the Squadron are living here because they have been stranded in the core Marvel universe for years, ever since their own uh, limited series in a few Other stories ended. Yeah, it's after
1: the uh, death of the universe graphic novel.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's funny too to you know just kind of think of it in story where you know the Justice League are basically living at this random government facility because they can't get back to their (laughs) their own world so they've been stuck here and suddenly Uh you know the the home team shows up and starts looking through their quarters and is like hmm what do you got in here and you got to imagine like you know the wizard the the flash for lack of a better term comes back
0: and is like haven't i been through enough like haven't yeah. i been through enough that you're going one through place i lay my head you guys gotta be in here for crying out loud i wouldn't so, blame them for being upset no you really I, can't
1: I, I mean like what what honestly what right do they have to do this uh-huh. like you're saying they're staying at project pegasus you know and like on some level the government's like oh we're keeping them there Motherfucker, you're not keeping them there at all. They've decided right. they're willing
2: to stay there.
1: Don't think that you could keep the Squadron Supreme anywhere that they didn't want to be kept. Right.
2: Yeah, that that's a good point, because, I mean, we, we've skipped over this a little bit. But, I mean, Hyperion and the Power Princess are are Superman and, and Wonder Woman. I mean, there, there's no one on the Avengers team that could really match that. I mean, you know, if Wonder Woman wants to fight you, Wonder Woman's going to fight you. Uh, right. So, yeah, it, it's kind of funny that the, the Justice League, for lack of a better term, is just hanging out out, uh, you know, in a world that they have nothing to do with. Kind of like Howard the Duck, except you know, they're all god-tier level uh, 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 superheroes. So, yeah, yeah, a lot <laughs> fewer vampire cows. <laughs> Unfortunately. But yeah, the, the Avengers don't look great here. And, and it's funny, too, because the when the, the squadron starts yelling at him, it's, you know, to your point, you almost get where you're, they're coming from. It's like, yeah, you know what? Someone's <laughs> gonna blow off some steam. This guy's gonna throw a magic hammer. Let them beat the crap out of each other. You know, one of the follow-ups to this not directly but uh, the same creative team is is Justice League uh, versus the Avengers which would come out a couple of years after this and it's one of those things where it's like you want these characters to fight. I want them to fight as a fan. You know Kurt and George wanted them to fight. So you look for the opportunity. And here, at least, it's like, why are you rooting around on my stuff? I'm going to punch you in the mouth. Like <laughs> This battle I at least get.
1: Right. If you think about this move on the Avengers part, they're doubted by the government and federal authorities. And so their solution is to go to an incredibly top secret research facility, go inside, rifle through some people's thing. It's presumptuous. It's very arrogant to think that they they pull it off because they're the Avengers and they know how to like Carol Danvers you know very coincidentally knows somebody one of the guards and is able to prove they are who they are but it's quite presumptuous and arrogant to think that this would somehow like this is how we'll clear our name we'll go to this top secret facility demand entrance and then just you know Go through this place without a search warrant. We have federal clearance, so I don't know. I don't know exactly what that means on some level, but do the have need in a warrant to do this? It seems right. like Captain America would be much more concerned with
0: the Fourth Amendment than he was. <laughs> well, and they're not doing themselves any favors here. I mean, if, right. if, if you know, the 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 word on the street is these guys aren't who they say they are. Certainly they're going to keep their nose clean. No, nope, we're going to go immediately and, uh, right into Like you said, a top secret facility and just start rooting around. Uh, well, you know, you're going to start raising some eyebrows here. And if I, I know, as we get through this, we find out that there is definitely, and like I said, in the synopsis, the squadron Supreme are under some type of control, but I don't blame them for coming in there and saying, what are you guys doing? And if they did have some doubts as to who they were, then by golly, that seems like it could help confirm it So but
1: now that you've gone through all my stuff Without my permission I definitely trust you. <laughs> Yeah right <You> know? <laughs> But right. I want to say real quick One of my favorite things in the whole comic First off is the cameo About the blue shield this cop guy Who's like somehow like he's He's like a, a lamer guardsman um, <laughs> I love the guardsman and I love I love this guy but like you're like wow So you're just here, man buddy it's like he's a
2: Rena superhero
1: Like He's, 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 you he's know, the I have- hero hotline I have a theory arguing. on
2: that, and I have yeah. no evidence to back it up, but we, we're all Kirby fans here. The The Blue Shield, I actually thought was a character that Busia created for this issue, and apparently that's not the case. But him hanging out in Project Pegasus is almost like the Guardian hanging in out in... In, in Habitat, or what would later be called Cadmus, you know, all yeah, that mm-hmm. Jack Kirby creation mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, no, so I can kind of, see that. Yeah, I, I just, it kind of occurred to me, because, you know, Bousiac is such a big uh, uh, history buff when it comes to continuity, or or Gruenwald before, I think it was it was the great, the late great yeah. Mark Gruenwald who actually put the Blue Shield here. Yeah, because it like, came out of
1: Quasar, right? Like, Wendell Vaughn used to do this job.
2: Yeah, so I've actually never read a, a Quasar comic, but I know that Gruenwald used many of these concepts there so I'm a little fuzzy on the details but looking through the issue now again I'm kind of like oh this is like this is like Guardian at Cadmus so it's just again it's another like there's a lot of DC in this story yeah and I don't you know, know that's that, a great point that's yeah really it just it, it occurred to me as I was flipping back through I'm like why does this feel familiar and it's like oh it's 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 the Guardian running around keeping the other clones in line mm.
1: yeah but uh, what I was going to say that was one of my favorite things too about this issue besides the Guardian keeping the clones in line great great analogy the big screen with all the the people who mind control people like <laughs> looking at Spesco it, red right crow and like the purple man <laughs> the corrupter the controller and then of course later we learn that it's the Corruptor doing this right man what a, what a gutsy move to stand by <laughs> what is essentially your wanted poster and be like oh man i hope we find the guy i don't know if you watch it there's this sketch comedy show called like uh, I think you should leave and there is a sketch on there that everyone should go watch and uh, i can't describe it except to say that uh, a guy in a hot dog car in a hot dog costume crashes into a store. Then they're like, who's the guy driving? And the guy in the hot dog costume is like, obviously, when he goes, yeah, who did this? We got to find him. You know, and like, I'll <laughs> watch that because that's essentially to me what is going on here. He's like, uh, oh man, I hope you find this guy. There I am.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, Derry, what'd you think of the fight here, man? I mean, we talked about it like, going, you know, what caused it. We got our second throwdown, dude. Only George Perez could draw this. I, I mean, every... When the two
2: teams meet, there's a great shot of, you know, how is George Perez going to get everyone – in, in the panel at the same time in a way that they're all believably interacting. And he does this great shot from above where the squadron arrives and the characters are on different levels so that everyone gets a little piece of the action. And it's very similar to a, a scene he did in, in Crisis on Infinite Earths where you see all the gathered heroes for the first time. And it's one of these things where I, I can look at it over and over and over again because every character is doing something unique they're acknowledging and interacting with someone else and then on top of it you have a detailed background like it's just again it's 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 probably Second nature to him, but I'm still impressed even after all these years. And then right. the, the fight itself, again, like I said before, exhausting because you, you watch it and every panel's got some amazing motion. Uh, everyone's got something to do with a cast this large. You'd think a couple of them would be backgrounded. But no, the the shape, Haywire, the, the, the second and third tier characters – everyone's got something to do and again i i want to give a lot of credit to perez but I, i'm sure you know him and Busiek at this point they work so well together but it's just it's a treat to watch. I, I almost wish I had these issues without the bubbles because there's, there's, there is there's a lot of text but there's so much going on both yeah. in the background and foreground of every shot that I just, I want to soak it in.
1: If you think about it, like Jack Kirby could draw I think people said like four or five pages a day. He could pencil it. Perez could never do that but I bet he drew just as fucking much. You know, because he put so much into every page, every little yeah. detail. I mean, and I'm not knocking Jack Kirby. Like I said, he's the best ever. You know, but like, you look at the you look at the detail, like when you look at this fight where like Dr. Spectrum has like, he's basically apprehended Mjolnir in midair so he can't get back to Thor so that Hyperion can beat the shit out of Thor because now he can fly and one of the the things we've learned essentially since the 1930s is that air superiority really wins battle, and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about the Battle of the Bulge, we're talking about the Persian Gulf, or Thor versus Hyperion in Avengers number 6 Hyperion starts to rock his world you know, and when you look at the detail that as Wonder Man's pounding on Dr. Spectrum's bubble and, like, I've seen a lot of Dr. Spectrum and this is the only, one of the only times where, like, somebody actually penciled the Spectrum. Normally, that's something they kind of color in, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, Jesus Christ, that's that's the power, right? But, like, he has penciled the lines into where he wants that to all break up. And, like, the detail there is just immaculate. And, like, that moment is one of the moments that, like, happens in almost every Perez penciled comic that I've ever read at some point you, you feel like you're a part of it not that you're one of these people but that somehow you are standing safely three and a half feet away from where it's happening like right. nothing bad will happen to you but now you are inside here and you're like real. you're close enough to that bubble to like stretch and touch it and I think Perez just does that in a way that you know uh, pretty much nobody else can. Do.
0: Yeah you, you mentioned uh, that was what exactly what I was going to talk about was uh, or just throw out there my favorite part of this battle was Spectrum putting a confinement around Mjolnir. Now let's see what's up, Thor. And Thor's got this look, uh, astonished look on his uh, astonished look on his face. So, um, it's good stuff. Boy, I, I'll tell you, the shape is a weird character, man. He really. Shape, is. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> he is just a strange, strange character. Like uh, he seems. I don't know he's if he's really challenged. Ha- okay,
1: that's pretty much an ongoing depiction of him. I believe in a uh, supreme power. He was similar. I don't remember when this happened. I think like I think in this continuity, somebody put like a brain drain on him. Maybe it was uh. God, what is the Lex Luthor's name there? I can't remember now. It's like. Mm-mm. <sighs> Emile Burbank Emile Burbank his real name I can't remember His like super villain name But uh
2: Master Menace
1: Master Master Menace That's it Master Menace Look at this guy Why do I even try very <laughs> Wade just, you know, showing me up. He's, I'm the Squadron Supreme. He's the JLA.
0: Um,
1: uh, <laughs> but no, uh, I think maybe they put that on him at some point. It, I remember that, and so he's been slow ever since, but he's a very lovable character. It's almost like if Elongated Man had the mind of the nice Hulk, when Hulk is, like, calm. The Hulk of the hostess fruit pie adds, as it were.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: You know, like, if he had that mind, that's kind of the shape. He's the Elongated Man or you know, Plastic Man, depending on how you want to look at him. I usually think it was elongated man because that's who was in the JLA when these people were created. But like, uh, but you know, either one works. And uh, yeah, he's a he's a weirdo and a weird character. But I love how like unlike the others, he actually is just a shape. Like he very rarely like just stretches his arm. It's more like where we see Hawkeye firing all the arrows at him, and he just makes a bunch of big holes where the arrows go through him. You right. know, he I really really enjoy that. Uh, I, I really enjoy that you utilization of the elasticity powers because most of the time they're just uh they're just water. He's silly putty.
2: You know it's it's interesting too. Dean mentioned it and and we kind of glossed over it, but in the original Squadron Supreme book the heroes not not the villains the villains are involved but it's the heroes uh, who are the impetus for it they actually do alter the minds and personalities of some of the people that they kidnap that's like, right
1: the, that's where that's where they get shaped you're right yeah
2: the the original squadron supreme book you know it, it predates i believe it predates watchmen and marvel man and some of the really big titles but it is not what you expect from from 70s marvel you know it is it is it is a dark book and it it's a great book it is it is the late uh, Mark Grunewald's magnum opus, but it is it is dark. Uh, it it is a, unlike a Justice League story that was being told at the time, but it's great and it it really does hold up. Uh, and one of the things here is is like, yeah, they they got bodies. <laughs> Squadron Supreme does not mess around. Like, yeah. they got bodies, and here they're 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 shown in simpler terms. But you know, if you've read their entire history, which is incredibly convoluted, uh, a more authoritative picture does get painted. Okay.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, if you if you go back to like. Their history on Earth 712, their own world. There's not a mistake that could possibly be made that they didn't make. They've been mind controlled. First, they were mind controlled and gotten in uh Nighthawk got in charge of the government and did a bunch of shitty things. When they got that undone, they decided, listen, we'll do a we'll take over and we'll do a bunch of nice things, but it doesn't work. It winds up being shitty things. They constantly like they they the book, as you say, like it predates Watchmen. It is uh cont- I think it came out in like 84, 85. So it's about the same same time that Marvel Man is happening over in England um it's one of the very first uh, postmodern takes on uh superheroes and yeah there's a lot of que- they do a lot of very questionable things and they engage in a lot of very questionable behavior because it is actually one of the few times where they're like what if these costumed gods decided that they were gods and that, that like the best thing for everyone would be if they were in charge and it were it doesn't work out so well it, you know hmm. you know because uh you know you because Greek tragedy. But yeah, you're absolutely right and it, it, it is Grunewald's magnum opus and around this time it was reprinted and it had his, I believe it had his ashes as part of the print. And so that's one of the reasons too why this would have been probably within about, if it wasn't exactly the same time as about a year before when yeah. that happened. So they, they, they had some buzz at the time and again, it, it's still highly recommended by just about everyone who knows or likes anything about superhero comics or postmodern comics in general. Of course, they survived they would go on to do other things and that's why they're here now
0: okay before we move on to the next issue you know we're we're here to talk about the art you guys got a favorite panels Derry, we'll start with you buddy do you have a favorite panel in this book that sticks out to you
2: i do have a favorite panel actually uh it's my favorite panel in the entire story and it's on the penultimate page of of this issue and it is captain america very calmly walking away from hyperion who is being held back by uh, Power Ah. Princess and Dr. Spectrum because Cap is very nonchalantly telling the squadron that he doesn't understand why they have such a problem with mind control, but he doesn't have any time for them. And I love it because, again, I like the idea that Cap has no time for the Justice League. You know, in JLA Avengers, he, he he yells at Superman and the rest of them and saying, you are worshipped like gods here. That makes me uncomfortable. And here we know the squadron used their powers to conquer their world. And the fact that, you know, when Cap is facing Hawkeye earlier in the issue, he's facing him. He's respecting him. He's he's giving in. He he knows that this is one of his men. Here, Hyperion is not one of his men. And regardless of what Jonathan Hickman would try to do a couple of years later, Hyperion is not an Avenger. It wouldn't it doesn't make any sense? And I just love this panel because <laughs> Zarda, the Power Princess, is able to hold him back. I guess that makes sense. He's Wonder Woman, but <laughs> Doctor Spectrum is literally like <laughs> struggling. And again, this is this is Superman. If Superman wants to throw Captain America towards the moon, he he can. No one's going to stop him. Right. Uh, and and George renders it just as as one random panel in the middle of a very packed page. And it's one of those things where. It just, it sticks with me and it's beautiful. And I wish I had a giant poster of it so I could keep it on my
1: I like that part of the story too. And I like it in JLA, JLA Avengers because I show it because I love Captain America and he's almost perfect. Honestly, he almost is. This is his flaw though. Sometimes he's a fucking asshole. Sometimes he's a little full of himself. Listen, these guys have had a lot of bad things happen to him, Cap. Maybe calm down a little bit. They want to go home. They're upset. Like, they just got mind-controlled again. I understand that, like, you don't like that they got mind-controlled several times. But guess what the thing about mind-control is, Captain America? You're not into it. It's not (laughs) something that, like, you wanted to happen. So maybe calm down just, like, 10 15% and, you know, cut them a little slack. As far as your question, my favorite uh, panel in here... Uh, Other than the uh, Mjolnir being, uh, you know, just just held in midair by Dr. Spectrum. It's actually early on when uh, Warbird, she's done with all this bullshit. So she goes to give herself a little drink, a little whiskey. What appears to be like, I don't know... 8.37am and uh, Scarlet Witch goes in there and gets some ice cream and they're like both sitting on the counter talking about their problems and she's having a drink and she's eating ice cream Uh, George Perez obviously known for a lot of great crowd shots a lot of great action we're talking about that but like showed a lot of character right there with just how just showing how they sat on the counter and the body language between them is that they were two ladies who were both very confused about where they were going and what was going on for very very different reasons. And I feel like he really added to the dialogue amazingly enough out of all the, all the shit that happens in this issue. That's probably my favorite. That's probably my favorite panel.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'll take the softball here and that's easily the one page spread with everybody on it. (laughs) I mean, we already talked about it, but you know, you see both teams and it's the above view and we see Hawkeye with his bow drawn and, and you know, Thor's getting ready to swing the hammer and oh my goodness, squadron Supreme has showed up. It is about to go down. Again, at the end of this, at the end of this issue, we get a little more light shed on our shadowy figure at the end of the first issue, and we find out a name—the person that's been behind all this—and just so happens to be the one that hypnotized the corruptor—is a guy by the name of Imus Champion. Yeah. So, Imus Champion—I I don't know if this pays off, <laughs> but. <laughs>
1: I mean, honestly, it pays off just because he's used. Because okay. if you're like, uh, if you're like really into this stuff, I mean, it's neat that he makes a comeback and it's neat that, you know, he gets to do a thing, you know, he's a character. You know, you see a lot of the same guys and I don't blame them for trying to elevate another villain. Um, but, you know, I'm a Champion is I'm a Champion. When I was trying to tell somebody about, I was trying to tell my girlfriend, Emily, about like, I'm Imus Champion. And she was like, like, Don Imus? And I was like, no, stop it. It's not funny. Ah. But actually, it's very funny.
0: <laughs> uh well, you know he's a serious dude when he's using the like head of Ultron there for an ashtray.
1: Right, right. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, Why? what is this? You know, which by the way, in like 15 minutes, Ultron's gonna be a super badass. He's just gonna kill him. So it's a bad call on his part.
0: <laughs> right. All right. Well, let's go ahead. We'll get into the third and final issue we came here to talk about, and that is the Avengers Squadron Supreme annual ninety-eight. On sale July 22nd, 1998. Uh, we changed up the creative team a little bit here. We got written by Kurt Busiek and then penciled by Carlos Pacheco. That's the name that a lot of Avengers uh, people, Avengers fans probably recognize. Inked by Matt Banning, lettered by Richard Starkings, and colored once again by Tom Smith. So here we go. Let's go ahead. We'll get into the synopsis. All right, when a projection of a distressed moon glow of the Squadron Supreme appears to the Avengers during a training session begging for help, the team gathers themselves and heads to Project Pegasus once again to find out just what is going on. Arriving, they find the squadron okay, but they tell of recent events where they had to, again, avoid being mind-controlled by somebody. Attempting to track this person down, they finally find the man behind it all, and it's a powerful villain from the Avengers past, Imus Champion. Via hologram, Imus then challenges the Avengers to stop him from making it to a distant tower where he plans to unleash nerve gas in every major American city. So imagine a big tower... Imus is just going to walk there. Best of luck. Go ahead and try to stop me. But if I make it to that tower, I'm pushing a button and a lot of people are going to die. Ah, so Take that, when, the, <laughs> when, when the teams decide to split into groups consisting of uh, members from each team, they head out to try and find champion and stop his plan. Each team attempts to stop him and each team is beaten. However, when all appears to be lost after Imus reaches the tower and pushes the button to release the gas, nothing happens surprised imus sees giant man appear and he assures imus that his computer systems were ravaged by his insect friends before he even arrived as imus is taken away iron man reveals he has found a device called the nth projector or similar to the nth projector i should say uh, which may help the squadron supreme get back to their world and days later they are able to open a portal and send them home. Now, guys, I know we've been talking about the Squadron Supreme a lot here already. Somebody educate me on what happened. We already talked about they were from Earth... What'd you say, 712, Dean? Is that what it was?
1: 712, sometimes called Earth-S as well. They're the same place,
0: though. How the How the hell did they end up over here?
1: It happened at the end of the uh, Death of a Universe graphic novel. I haven't read it in a while, but it basically... Um, um, they fought a guy called the Overmind in it, and somehow... <sighs> It gets really cosmic and like one of their, I think that like the Zatanna analog has a kid that somehow becomes the Nth Man. It's kind of complicated, um, but, uh, <laughs> so I don't remember exactly what happens, but the events at the end of that, I believe, springboard them into Project Pegasus in Quasar. Now, they had already come back and forth a few, uh, a couple times for different reasons. I forget, uh, I forget exactly how. But, you know, it's the Avengers. They're always going into alternate worlds and dimensions and stuff. Like I said, they're a JLA analog. They're Earth's Mightiest Heroes. You have uh, Hyperion as Superman. Power Princess as Wonder Woman. Uh, Skymax, the Skrullian Skymaster, is uh, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. Golden Archer, Green Arrow. Skylark is uh, Black Canary. The Wizard is the Flash. Not to be confused with the Wizard, who thought he was Scarlet Witch's dad for a while. from the You know, here in the regular Marvel Universe, Dr. Spectrum is Green Lantern. Saturn. I think Moonglow here is a uh, Zatanna, but later it'll be like Arcana. I think her name will be Shapes, Elongated Man. Hawkman was Captain Hawk. Amphibian is Aquaman. I might've left a couple out. Uh, Tom Thumb is the Atom. Uh,
2: okay. That's all I remember, Gary. You know any others? Yeah, the, the way I think about it is just... Oh,
1: nuke. Nuke is Firestorm.
2: Nuke is Firestorm. Yeah, the, the way I think about it is there was a story that was the equivalent of the Crisis on Infinite Earths, except... At the end of it, the Squadron Supreme got sent to the Marvel Universe instead of getting sent home. Uh, that's how that's I. That's basically the story. it. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So I. I mean, you could definitely go back and read all that stuff. It's I,
1: worth I reading. Me- I don't mean to like say I can't recollect it to say it's shitty or anything. It's just it's actually so packed it's hard to remember. And I haven't read it in at least like two years. I probably should have leaded into this, but uh, I was just so excited to look at that Perez stuff, baby. I didn't mean to cut you off, Jerry. Sorry. Go
0: ahead.
2: No, no, no. You're 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 absolutely right. I, I'm just as guilty and. Part of the problem is that you know the squadron exists kind of in their own bubble you know there it's like it's over at dc like i I can't tell you anything about the legion of superheroes and a big reason for that is you know they don't cross over with anyone they're they're in their own little uh reservation off in the future and it's the same thing with the squadron supreme like they're definitely marvel characters but for the most part their adventures take off Yeah, uh, take place off on the side. So it's 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 interesting that
1: you say that too, though, because like we talked, obviously the JLA and uh, Squadron Supreme are analogs, but in a way they're Legion analogs too. Because Jesus Christ, they reboot the Legion like every you know ninety minutes or so, and there's all these like we talked about. Squadron Supreme has convoluted history, so that's a really smart analogy. Yeah, I don't know a lot about the Legion either because every time I start to get into it, it changes abruptly, or it's it's hard. It's just. You know, or it's not for me because it's like the long 60s run, which other than Jim Shooter stuff is kind of a... Placid, if you will. But like, yeah, there's a lot of rebooting there. So much
2: like the Legion squatters Supreme in their own little bubble. It's, it's tough too, because it just, it's off on their own. Uh, it, it's adventures are, are off to the side, but I'm a fan of them being stuck on the Marvel universe. Cause again, they're just, they're, they're, they're justice league with, uh, with priors. And, and I, I love it. I love watching them fight everyone. So the, this whole thing is a dream. And, and this issue in particular, because, uh, you know, they got to team up to, to fight this guy, but still don't like each other and and i love that because i feel like that works on a on a meta level too
1: yeah, I would compare their relationship, honestly. I was watching one of the uh, ESPN 30 for 30s recently, and it was like the uh, Lakers-Celtics relationship and, like, you know, their rivalry in the 80s. And I would say it's very similar. Like Magic Johnson said, now that we're not playing and we're not fighting, I love Larry Bird. But if we put it on that those uh, jerseys again, I don't want it. I hate him. And I hate the Boston Celtics. And I feel like their respect is very similar. Quadrant Supreme are always portrayed somewhat ineptly, but you have to remember, like, they're the best heroes that, you know, super powerful guys on their own world who actually have accomplished a lot there and so like when i see that rivalry i think of it like that that like there's no choice but the avengers respect them and squadron supreme respect the avengers but they really you know would prefer not to have anything to do with each other if they could but if they are going to go at each other they both want to win or they want to get the job done most efficiently
0: which in this annual neither of them do there are some moments of tension with these two teams separating themselves out, and I I, even, I think it's Hyperion's like what you want you want to make sure one of your members are with mine so we don't stab you in the back or something like that, uh, or so we don't mess up. There's that tension, but they've got to try and work together. I think my favorite teams that got sent out to try and deal with Imus was uh, Hawkeye and what the heck was his name? Razorwire. Haywire. Okay. Thank you. I had them all down. Haywire
1: is like the only guy who doesn't have like an analog in this story. There's no like DC equivalent to him.
0: Mm hmm. I think they're joking with each other I think Haywire's like pranking Hawkeye at one point like ripping I don't know if he like destroys his arrows or does something to his uh, the to his they, uh, yeah and then you know when they start going out to find Imus they're actually find, start to Hawkeye's like oh maybe I got some common ground with this dude and I didn't leave I didn't put this in the synopsis but when everybody goes home Haywire sticks around he's the one that does. does not he does. yeah he doesn't go back uh, he'll become a character
1: in cool. the Marvel Universe and uh, he dies in celestial quest, I believe. He remains somewhat tangentially tied to the Avengers, and uh, he helps Mantis fight Thanos, and then I don't remember how he dies, but I believe in Celestial quest, he, he mm-hmm. dies. But yeah, he sticks around because he doesn't really have much to go back for without inertia there.
0: At the beginning of this book, we are treated to Firestar and Justice. I don't know. Are they members of the Avengers at this point? And that's what's at this going point, on? what had
1: happened was in Avengers number four, they had a big, that was the, uh, I told you about my favorite trope, who Will be the Avengers? Well, they did that <laughs> at number four, okay. and uh, they made them reserve Avengers, it, uh, and got they got it. to stay with them uh, because the New Warriors have uh, more or less. They don't. They're, they're. I think they were about to start another New Warriors in '99, but right now they they weren't the New Warriors all the time. They didn't have a title, and I think Kurt Busiek wanted to have a young. They want, He wanted some youngsters there to have that wide-eyed. Oh my God, I'm in the big mm-hmm. leagues now uh, feeling. Which honestly, I think he gets a little. Heavy-handed with justice was the leader of the New Warriors. Firestar, uh, a member of the New Warriors for a long time. Excuse me, former Hellion under uh the White Queen, and uh, she has a little less of it. But I think they are a little like, oh my God, we're in over our heads. Are you like you, you, you know, you fought like a bunch of stuff like Terax and Scrolls and the Juggernaut. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. like you, you know, is this really that different? I think it's. I, I understand what he's going for. I just think it's a little heavy-handed in the issue.
0: Okay. Derry, what do you think of our team up here, and and how uh, how things shake down for our teams? Was there anything that stood out to you in regards to? Did you have a favorite team, kind of like I did? What what were your thoughts, man?
2: Uh, No, I I didn't. I didn't really have a favorite team, but I, I I love champion. Uh, so this was not a character. As... Yeah, right. I, I'm I'm not calling him Imus. I think, I think that's <laughs> ridiculous. Champion at least sounds champion, like... You will think
1: he's the dude who bought the thing. Uh, you know, that is cool. the first
2: place my mind went. I'm like, I'm such a big nerd that I was like, wait, does that mean Marvel has two characters called Champion? But whatever. <laughs> I, I don't even think he needed to have been a pre-existing character. Probably when I read this the first time, I didn't even know he was a pre-existing character. I just like the idea that someone with enough disposable income and again this guy is nine feet tall so he's yeah you, know, you got a picture of him in tailored suit and, and all that other stuff but with enough disposable income you can just buy nonsense you can buy the adamantium head of Ultron you can get the wand of Watum you can get all of this other stuff uh, just because you want to take out the Avengers should the situation present itself and that just feels like such a such an honest motivation like he doesn't hate either team he, he just really wants to see if he can do it it's such, like well, a base idiotic reason for doing all of this stuff but it's like well how did you do it well i'm wealthy it's like yeah okay let's see how this turns out
1: i mean you mm-hmm. have to think about it this is this story is mostly a marvelized the most dangerous game that's essentially what it is where what was the- it was a rich guy who could do whatever he wanted, who was like, I'll just hunt people, you know? And it didn't work out well for him like it didn't work out well for Champion here. I don't think I had a favorite team myself. Uh, this was obviously a uh, an homage to the Justice League stories. I don't, If you read like almost any Justice League story from like, let's say like 1965 to like, I don't know, 1980, it was always like splitting the team up. It's like, oh, Superman and Black Canary have to go to Greenland while Green Arrow and Elongated Man will be in Maui or whatever to stop
2: this. Yeah,
1: and I think this was a a love letter to that trope. And what I really love about it here, honestly, is that everybody had great characterization. I'm not as impressed with Champion. I think that this is a little. I said, "It's a Marvelized most dangerous game. I respect it, but like, I like it's hard for me to take seriously that he would ever pose these guys any threat." On the other hand, them dividing up, begin to talk about their problems. Hyperion talking to Thor about how, like, hey, maybe I shouldn't have stopped being and essentially Clark Kent. Thor's like, "Well, I just have to be Jake Olson right now. I hadn't thought about that." Uh, the magic conversation between Scarlet Witch and Moon Glow, Haywire and Hawkeye being like, Hawkeye being like, "Kids a lot like me when I was younger." Iron Man and Doctor Spectrum uh, uh, and the Wizard, like you know, being like, "Oh, Iron Man," being like, "These guys are real people, and we don't think about them as such." Really, that characterization for everybody was really strong. Divided them up in that way, I think, really, really worked. I really liked that aspect of it. Otherwise, you know, some of it was definitely, "We got to get this guy over," so some stuff's going to happen that wouldn't happen if we didn't need to get Imus Champion over.
0: And that's yeah. Why. <laughs> I will say that my favorite battle. Had to have been Thor and Hyperion versus Imus Champion, where Imus takes Thor out and Hyperion grabs Mjolnir and turns out, oh, I can't lift it, and now it's on top of me. <laughs> and now he can't move. So Hyperion's like immobilized because Mjolnir's laying on top of him and Thor's knocked out. And I thought, well, that's uh that's actually pretty slick. Um I like Yeah, that.
1: but what if what if like he had been like a uh, half a foot like to the left, he would have rolled out from under it, right? <laughs> Got lucky there, didn't you champion? But you know what? <laughs> nothing ventured, nothing
0: gained. <laughs> you know, Giant-Man with the save, which was I think kind of foreshadowed at the beginning cuz I think it's like within the yeah. first two pages we see we see uh Firestar and and Justice kind of looking over that trophy room and they're talking about ant-man slash giant man which it is hank Pym at this time right that is giant giant man's hank Pym, right yeah okay i'm just making sure i didn't i I know there was a couple giant men but um okay at
1: this point Uh, after they've come back to the heroes reborn universe you know he's back in the role got it
0: got it this would be a good time to plug a sponsor of the w2m network and that is grammarly for you the listeners of unspoken issues grammarly is offering a free download of the grammarly software Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W, the number two M network to download Grammarly for free. I guess we'll talk first about the resolution. I don't know if you have any thoughts about the resolution with Imus and how they beat him. But not only that. But how about the resolution at of, of at the end of the comic with sending the Squadron Supreme home?
2: One thing that I that I had a thought about, which is kind of tied into the resolution, is I completely forgot that the characters of Swordsman and Mag- Magdalene, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing right. her name correctly, are in this. Uh, they are they are from uh, the 90s. The excuse me, the very early 90s Avengers. Uh, they were. They were members, I believe, right before the Onslaught event. So I I guess Kurt Busiek wanted to take this opportunity to wrap up their stories. I I just, I wasn't expecting to see them in the beginning. And then even at the end, it's like, oh, hey, we sent the squadron home. Now you guys can go home too to whatever world you want. And I just thought that was so funny because there probably weren't a lot of people who picked up this random issue and expected that plot thread of all things to be wrapped up. Uh, Well, at least
1: now when they wrote in, he could be like, oh, we did that there. Error.
2: Yeah, and then Poochie died on the way back to his home planet. The the other thing I liked about the end was again, it, it really felt more like a Justice League story where it was like, Hey, we gotta send them home, right? Yeah, well they've been in Project Pegasus for the better part of a decade and those are the smartest people in the world. Did they figure out how to do it? No, but Iron Man found this thing in Champion's basement. That seems like it's gonna work. It's <laughs> like a vacuum cleaner, so that'll that'll get us there. Like again, I mean, obviously the story was always going to end with uh with them going back to to earth earth s. Uh this the I don't know if you've if you mentioned it before, but this has a, a script credit to Len Kaminsky, who would go on to write a one-shot that would would follow this, featuring just the squadron back in their own world. So clearly, it was it was setting that up. But uh, yeah, the ending <laughs> the ending kind of kind of comes out of nowhere, and uh, it, it surprised me. But the story it leads into is is very good. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, it's
1: a very Justice League type ending, like almost like they should have had I don't know a theta beam come and get them, like it was some Adam Strange stuff instead. Of- <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) the uh you know instead of instead of his beam you know beam him up uh it's a good ending it it works like you said it, it, it works to get them where they need to be for the new world order graphic novel which oddly enough i bought off the shelf and read before i read these issues in real time and i didn't even buy it at a comic book store i was at a store called uh pastings in uh Cersei, Arkansas. And, like, I guess this place was sort of like Barnes & Noble, but they also rented movies. Like, you could buy books and, you know, magazines and all that shit. You know, they had a CD section, and they but they rented movies, too. And uh, I bought that just because I liked them, and I didn't know that it was all tied into all this stuff. You know, I just read it, and it stands on its own and everything. But, yeah, really good ending. Like I said, I think the fights, you know, were just what they were. They needed to make them happen so the end could occur. But here's my only question, is, like, we see Firestar, and she's looking at these ants, and then later they're like, "Good idea to get uh your our attention because the, the ants' attention because they couldn't communicate with anybody. How'd she do it? She can't talk to ants. I don't, dude. There was a lot that I was just like, <laughs> okay, who okay. talked to these fucking ants?' You I know, guess they have Moonflow and Scarlet Witch, so maybe they chatted about it or something.
0: Yeah." Yeah, there was there was quite a few times where I was just like, okay, all right, well, whatever. Whatever happened, happened here. Somehow she got the That's idea right. to get this message through the ant colonies to Ant-Man in, in order to make the save, or Giant-Man to make the save. You got to um, give her
2: credit, though, that the, you know, this... This poor woman who, who's been a superhero going all the way back to Spider Man and his amazing friends, she's hanging out in Avengers Mansion with her idiot boyfriend and he's geeking out, right? Oh my like, God, I, so I've sick. seen this, I've seen this look so many times on people's faces where I'm babbling on about something and they're just trying to be nice. And this guy happens to go on about how great it is to talk to ants and then she remembers enough of that to just casually save the day. Like, again, the Avengers, the Justice League, the the big guns of any fictional universe and who saves the day Firestar and Hank questionable Pam like it's just one of those things where it was like (laughs) these guys can't get out of their way uh, out of their own way long enough to actually help each other but Firestar who was just being nice to her boyfriend who wears a cape for some reason thought like oh hey I know how to save this and Hank because you know he wasn't even invited to join the Avengers because they're all ashamed of him was like oh yeah 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 I can I can do that I can mess up your computer yeah what is the deal with that I I love Justice because, you know, he begins life as a guardian of the galaxy a thousand years from now. Like, he's this really interesting, hard-fought character. And then I I don't know who decided, well, why don't we see him as a teenager and give him the Marvel boy name? Because no one was using that. And suddenly that evolves into Justice and he spends the 90s and 2000s just being really awkward around everyone else. Well, to be fair, he went to prison for killing his dad. So, that yeah, that's what I'm talking very about. Like, where did that come from? Like, when, this guy was an astronaut who, who wielded Captain America's shield against... Well, they're not Earth. the same
1: guy. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> came back to the past and... They're not the him. same guy, but... But, but, but nice. like he came like it's weird because they came back and then he like stopped something from happening so that he would never go to the future. So that's now a divergent timeline, you know. And I I guess they just did that. I think they just did that so that it wasn't like the the uh they didn't want a Legion of Superheroes, the Guardians of the Galaxy future. Like the, the Legion of Superheroes for a long time, maybe still, is the canonical future of the DC universe. And I think that decision was made to redo it. So like Vance Astro and like marble boy like meet each other around uh i think it's like new warriors 35 or so he's a weird character and he's usually very cringe and i don't know how he landed firestar being so cringe
2: (laughs) i I do want to just make a comment about the art because while this issue is not by george perez it's by uh carlos pacheco who worked with um on avengers forever which was a contemporary of this I just think Pacheco is an amazing artist in his own right. Uh, I'm not comparing him to anyone, but uh, the the way he positions his characters on a page, the, the angles he chooses, the way he uh, utilizes kind of out of context flashbacks to draw cool things, like this uh, This issue has a page where you see all the squadron members in their original costumes, just to give you a bit of context. Things like that, which, uh, you know, I, I I just, I love, love being able to have. Uh, th- this is another issue where it's just like, well, the art's flawless, and, you know, this thing came out 20 years ago, but it, it still holds up. I mean, yeah. there, there's nothing really dated about this book. So I, I just wanted to say, like, it may not be by Perez, but the artist is certainly uh, no slouch. With uh, issues five and six, my favorite one here is where like Hyperion's
1: about to smash the Avengers with a rock, and it's like everybody together. He's like, "What are you doing here?" You know? Yeah. It's, you know, fair enough because the last time they were there, you just going through their rooms without fucking permission. So yeah, they don't want to see you now. No, ain't nobody yeah. know that you were called. Once they know you were called, it's fine. You were invited, okay? But yeah, much like that splash page for the Squadron Supreme, where Hyperion's staring down the Avengers in uh, number five. Favorite page here from uh, Pacheco is him with the Rock staring down the Avengers, being like, "What are you doing here?" And uh, they are equally powerful images. Uh, It could not be much more different in a lot of ways, but evoke the exact same feeling. And that you know, big kudos to both of them there because you can look at you can look at either of them and feel the exact same with so many different intricate uh, differences with the details.
0: I I love you know, what are you guys doing here? And then the Avengers are like, "Well, you call." us and I go well yeah we got mind controlled again Somebody tried to mind control us again. <laughs> but it didn't work this
1: time. They were ready this time. You got it. You That's right. It
0: That's right. That's right. They were not careless as Captain America said last issue because of your carelessness. So yeah. it's anyway. like if
1: you have teenage like the third, you know, they, they do something bad like three times. You're like, God damn it. Then like the fourth time you're like, well, wait, why why didn't you want me? Here? Well, I tried to stop it and it didn't quite work as well as it wanted. And you're like, you know what? Progress. That's right. We you know, recognize the problem. You didn't That's want right. to tell me about it because you're trying to stop it. Hey. At least it didn't just happen. (laughs) I think obviously, you know, we're going to, we keep coming back to George Perez. I think that's the number one reason to read uh, the first two books. I think it's a neat story. I think that, like I said, this is a, uh, is a love letter to the Englehart era Avengers, the Englehart Perez, the shooter Perez uh, era of the Avengers that uh, people just uh, loved for great reason, because it was great stuff. This was great stuff too, at a time when Marvel really needed a hit at the same time that they were uh throwing mores out the window with Marvel Knights. They were also going back to basics here with their big uh core characters. And it really paid off in spades. Definitely worth getting all three of these issues if you can find them on the cheap. I think uh I think five, six in the annual are in a trade paperback called Supreme Justice. Get the New World Order uh, graphic novel if you uh if you can find it. Uh we're gonna have to do something on like that after we carnage around. But uh, that's really all I have to say. It's just it's worth your time. It's a lot of fun thanks so much for all your hard work, George Perez. We really had a great time uh, looking at everything you've done, and in particular these uh, these couple issues here today.
2: I'm very happy we read these issues uh, because I love the Squadron Supreme. I love that the Avengers essentially have in their rogues gallery a version of the Justice League that... Uh, are antagonists for them in a very believable way, uh, but also characters in their own right. Because again, regardless of how many terrible things they may have done in the Grunwald stories, they do believe that they're the heroes of their own story, and sometimes they are. So I think they're great antagonists, and I- I'm happy they showed up here. Uh, it-, it is kind of a surprise too, because you know th- these are issues five and six of the new book. So you'd think it would be maybe more, more down-to-earth classic villains than throwing in a, a team of, like, eight new characters. But it works here because it really throws you in the deep end and allows you to see all the characters at once. Uh, it, it certainly doesn't hold your hand when it comes to continuity, so it's, it's a nice uh, jump in the deep end. And, and yeah, I mean... Artistically speaking, you can give all three of these issues to someone and they really don't have to read them. I, I mean, comics clearly are a collaborative medium, but holy hell, these two artists are, are, you know, in a league of their own. And it really shows here. Obviously, like Justice League of Their Own? Uh, a Justice League of their own, if you will. Uh, obviously, there's other stuff by Perez that we could all uh, recommend. I, I would definitely say more in the vein of this. Go go back to the first couple issues of Infinity Gauntlet. Obviously, everyone in the world uh, knows knows about Thanos now, so you would appreciate that. But uh, yeah, the, George Perez never really drew a bad panel, as far as I'm concerned.
0: I agree. Right, right. Uh, yeah, this is probably the first thing I've had the opportunity to sit down and read that had the Squadron in it. These you have alternate... missed out, sir. I know, man. And... and well, what's what that's done is actually I knew about them, you know, I knew kind of like uh, some of the history behind these characters, but I've never sat down and read anything with them in it. The The word crisis is used a couple times in this oh, book. Yeah. And, I, no accident. yeah. and I was immediately like, oh, that would I would love to read what happens to these guys that brought them over here in the first place. So story wise, you know, I, I absolutely want to catch up on some squadron supreme at some point as for george's work you guys have said it best already i just can't do anything but echo what you've already said and
1: you know you know we just wish you the best george whatever happens you know we're just thankful for the memories it's like the beatles said in the end the love you take is equal to the love you make and 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 he made a lot of us happy you made us uh fall in love with a lot of these characters so you're taking a lot with you buddy